This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. All right, hey, First John chapter two. We're gonna hop on in there. Um, has anyone is anyone a coach? Anyone a coach right now? Anybody? I didn't know. I, I just wrapped up coaching uh, flag football. It was incredibly difficult. Incredibly difficult. Seven, no, no, no. Yes, yeah, seven, eight-year-old boys, flag football. Whew, that's tough. There's not a lot of listening going on there. Um, literally, like, yes, I had the boy that was doing cartwheels, like, down the field. I'm like, go get him, champ. Um, so, yeah, anybody, co- no coaches? T- yeah? Used to? That's hard. Five, six-year-old kids' soccer is just like, here's a ball, go. And you just kind of see chaos happening. It's cool. Uh, teachers? Anybody teachers? Let's see it. Show of hands. I know we got some teachers in here. Are all of our teachers gone? They're like, we get the week off. Boom, they're out of here. Like, we will take it. Okay, all right. All right. Well, have you ever had a coach of any sort? Now we're getting some more activity, okay? Perhaps had a teacher. Ah, now we're there. Okay, okay, okay. So, assuming the coach or the teacher it ha- has a like genuine heart for the vocation, what's, what's the heartbeat? What's the role of the coach or the teacher? Lead. Lead from A to B. All right, or C. A plus squared plus B squared. No, we're not math. Um, right? So the, the role of the teacher of the coach, right, is, is to take your, your, your student, your, your client, and, and to help them move from here to here, right? It's like, hey, here's, here's objectives, here's goals. We hope to move from here to here, right? And if the heart is, is good, then even when a teacher, teacher or a coacher, ha- oh my gosh, teach or a coacher, <laughs> see what I did there? Yep. E- even when they have hard things to say, Right? Even when the coach is like, hey, like you need to stop eating that many donuts or it's going to go bad for you. Right? Or, or the financial coach is like, no, blackjack is not a good investment. Right? Like, let's pick a different strategy. Um, you know, or the, the teacher is like, no, no, you have, to, you have to study. You have to do your homework. Right? Right, kids? Yeah? No? Okay, we get scowls. Right? Even if the coach or the teacher or somebody, like even if it's hard or they're getting on to you, if they're a good coach or teacher, their goal is for us to progress and grow. Do this, don't do that, right? That we know, even if we don't like it, we know that the do's and the don'ts are for our own good, right? right? In theory, that's, that's, it's for our own good. J- John is our coach, all right, John, John is our teacher, and, and, and he is trying to move us for our own good to grow in fellowship with God. That, that's his objective. That's what he said in the beginning of 1 John, is, is that his goal is to proclaim Jesus so that we would have fellowship with God and with one another. And, and, and so if there's a, a target that John wants, then of course, just like any teacher, any coach, there's going to be, hey, don't do that. Right? Don't eat the donuts if you want to lose weight. Do exercise. Right? Like, there's going to be do's and don'ts. And, and as much as we would look at something like that and go, okay, that makes sense, a lot of times we look at the Bible and we're like, ah, you know, we'll take it or leave it. Or like, hey, don't tell me how to live my life. Right? Like, don't give me rules or something. But we have to see that there's a good 
purpose behind it. John, John is leading us towards something that is good, ultimately fellowship with God, ultimately a nearness and an intimacy w- with God. And, and, and one of the things I just want to encourage us with, because for, here we are, it, God desires a relationship with you more than our brains can comprehend right now. Like, the, the God, God really desires a, a relationship with you beyond what we can fathom. Deeper and more robust and more full, right, where, where we can have an intimacy with God today here in this Boy Scout building more than you can with the person next to you. Which I don't know about you, but for me, that's, I'm like, I'm not there yet, right? I, I, I feel like I can be a lot closer to James because he's right here. He's literally here. And yet, yet the, the message of the Bible is that we can have an intimacy and a fullness with God. And, and that's the aim of John. That's the aim of, of Scripture. And so when we look at 1 John, right, we're, we're looking at this and we're saying, okay, if that's the aim, how do, we, how do we move down that path? How do we grow as a follower of Jesus? Just like if we're growing as a student or an athlete or a musician, right? Like, hey, here's what you do and here's what you don't do, and that's how we get to where we're going. And so we're asking these questions. All right, John, how do we get there? Last week, we looked at um, chapter, the beginning of chapter two. And John says in verse seven, right? A new commandment, even though it's an old commandment, I give you to love one another, right? The, the, the do, this is what you do if you wanna grow in fellowship with God is you love one another. You love one another as Christ has loved you. We see earlier in John chapter two, right, that we are to, uh, to walk the same way as Jesus walked, right? If we wanna grow in fellowship with God, if you truly want to know God more, we walk as Jesus walked. We walk in the light as he is in the light, not in the darkness. Well, then we get to verse 12, and, and if you have your Bibles with you, right, how, how many of yours, it's like the, 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 the formatting changes in verse 12, right? It's indented. Most look at this as almost like a, a, a poem, right? And, and so when I was reading on it, and I was like, most see this as, as just kind of a, a, a sidestep to encourage, right? There's all this instruction. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. And, and as anyone knows, a good coach is gonna give those instructions, but then a good coach is also gonna huddle up his team and be like, hey, y'all are doing great. Like, you're doing good. Keep it up, right? Here's what we're playing for. Here's the win. Here's what we're seeing happening. And that's kind of what John is doing here. Right in the middle of these commands, he has this moment where he pulls us aside and he's like, hey, don't forget the benefits that you have in Christ. Be encouraged. Remind yourself of the benefits you have in Christ. I I find it funny, right, where, I mean, I, I just preach the same message over and over and over again all the time, you know, we, we sing the same songs, right? It's, why? Well, honestly, because the message is the same from Genesis to Revelation, <laughs> but we're forgetful people. Like, we're incredibly forgetful. One of my favorite passages is Deuteronomy 6, where, where God's like, hey, when I lead you to a land that you did not get to on your own, and when I give you homes that you did not build on your own, and when I give you all of these things that you did not get on your own, don't forget me. And it's kind of like, God, really? Like, why do you have to remind them not to forget you? Are they really gonna forget that they're living in a home they didn't build? That they're living in land that they didn't overtake? What do they do? They forget. Right, they forget. Psalm 103, he's like, hey, remember the benefits of God. 
right? Like all the time, the Bible's like reminding ourselves. One of the songs that we just sang, right, is encouraging our own soul to praise God. Because we are dadgum forgetful people. Literally, we'll sit here and we'll be like, here's the plan. And we'll get home. Before we, maybe before we get home. And it's like, what are we doing? What did we talk about? What did we talk about last week? I know I read something this morning, but I don't even remember what it was, right? Because we are so forgetful. And so we just have to remind ourselves the benefits, the real benefits that are ours in Jesus. And so John writes, he says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know who, him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Right, we see this kind of repeat. It's almost a poem, right? You see this kind of repetition. And, and one of the things you have to ask is, who is John writing to? Right, if you're not here today and you're not, you're, you're not a little children or, or a father or a young man, is John even writing to you? Like, do you just take that and go, that's for someone else? What, what most that I've read and studied on is that John is writing to the whole church when he references little children and then he's just speaking to the reality that some are older in their faith, fathers, and some are younger in their faith, young men. The reason we have masculine pronouns is not because women are excluded, but we have to remember the context this is written in. It is written in a patriarchal society. It's written in a day when, when you, you didn't, women didn't go to school, women didn't learn, women didn't read, women weren't taught things, right? And, and so, it's not that they're excluded, it's just, that's just how they communicated. Right? That, it's like saying, oh, well, all of mankind, well, that's only men. No, no, that, that means everybody, right? It's just a way to communicate, and especially in biblical times, right, where, where Jesus is actually moving further and further and further away from a patriarchal society into including women. Right, that, that, that's, a, that's another discussion, actually, you know, but when you look at Genesis 1 and 2, this is off. We're going to go here for a second, right? This is, this is a theory in work right now. I'm working on this one, right? But when you look at Genesis 1 and 2, and you're like, okay, what are the roles of men and women? I don't see a whole lot of distinction. They're all given the mandate to be fruitful and multiply. They're all given the mandate to, to work. They're all, like, they're, oh, there's two of them. They're both given the mandate, right? All of the commands are given to Adam and Eve. It's not until Genesis 3 where you start to see a distinction in men and women. What happened in Genesis 3? Sin enters the world, right? And so then you see Jesus, right? You see the commands of the Old Testament. Again, this has nothing to do with 1 John, right? You see the commands of the Old Testament that are heavily favoring men, but then Jesus even elevates the status of women, Right? You see Jesus in the New Testament increasing the, the status and rights of women. So my working theory, and this is a theory, like don't quote me on this, I'm studying, I'm learning, right? My working theory is that from Genesis 3 on, right, God has been redeeming the whole world. God has been making right that which was broken in Genesis 3, including the roles that we see in men and women in the way we treat one another. So I'm just kind of wondering, is there this progressive restoration of the roles of men and women that we see throughout the Bible and into today even, right? So that's just, just are, we, are we working our way back towards 
Genesis 2, one day culminating when Jesus comes back and restores everything to the new heaven and the new earth. Just a working theory, just that, where was I? Okay, so, so again, it's not that women don't matter, right? It's just the way that, that, the, that it was written in that time. All right, so we see in, throughout First John, right? Go to chapter two, verse one, my little children, right? Like when, when John uses the phrase children or little children, he's talking to the church, right? Almost like a father to his children, a, a shepherd to the sheep, right? He's just saying, hey, church, my little children, everybody, this is for you. These benefits are for you. And whether you're old fathers or whether you're, you're young, young men, these benefits are for you. So, so that's really my understanding of, of this section, right? These benefits are for those who are in Christ, the whole church, whether old fathers, young, young men, all of you are included if you're in Jesus. And so what are those benefits? The first one that we see, that your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Your sins are forgiven, right? That in Jesus, the record of debt that we carry before God was erased and removed, right? A benefit in Jesus is that our sins are forgiven and we can have right standing with God. Praise the one who paid my debt in full, right? My sins are forgiven. Have you ever had financial debt? You don't have to answer that. It's fine. You ever had financial debt? It is a crushing burden, right? I mean, that's why you hear phrases like, I don't know how to get out from under this. I was buried under debt, right? Mountains of debt. You know, you come out of college maybe, and you've got student loans, right? And, and we see even some of those, a portion of those were forgiven, man. And there's like dancing in the streets. There's elation, right? Imagine your full student loans or your full medical loans or whatever, right? is just erased and paid in full. There, there is a genuine excitement that stirs up. And, and yet, we often are so casual about the fact that our record of debt before God is erased and paid in full by Jesus. Right? It's just like, cool, thanks. But that's a benefit that we have in Jesus. That I don't have to settle my own debts before God. I don't have to settle my own debts. I don't have to work and hustle and grind in hope that I can dig my way out of the mountain of debt that I have against God. No, Jesus did that for me. I don't have to sit in guilt or shame because I have this debt. No, Jesus paid for it. It's, it's done. It's a benefit that we have in Jesus. It's something that should move us. It's something that should, should excite us, right? That when, when our coach is bringing us in to encourage us, right, this should excite us. And I'll be the first to say, man, I'm, yeah, I mean, I, I've heard it my whole life, and you just start to take it for granted, and that's why we need to sit and wait and meditate because sometimes we just have to almost stir our souls up to praise God right? Are you with me? Sometimes you're like, man, I, I'm just not feeling it. But if, you're, if you find the time to sit, you ever been to camp? Anybody ever, ever done camp? Anyone? Dude, I love camp. I got saved at camp, right? Why is it always that at camp or those times we get away, we're like, man, I really connected with God? Well, it's because we took intentional time to, to set our hearts towards him, right? To, to push away distractions and nonsense and to, to be with God, Sometimes it takes that time just to stir our souls to remind us, my sins are forgiven. Like every single one of them, Jesus paid for it. I, I, don't, I don't have, God does not see a single sin on my life. My record is clean. Praise be to God. The second thing we see, right? I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. 
I'm writing to you older men, but really this is for anyone who has faith in Jesus. I'm writing to you because you know God. Like you know God. Again, this is something that should move us to awe. It should, it should stun us. It should captivate our lives. We, we can know God, like the creator of the world. I was telling Hayden and Donna last night, not last night, this morning, but last night I had a dream with Miles Garrett in it. Anybody know who Miles Garrett is? No, we got some no's, right? He's just a fighting Texas Aggie, whoop. Um, also plays football for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, he was a number one draft pick in whatever year, right? So he, he's, he's well known, right? I had a dream, literally, I'm, I'm in a coffee shop and I look out the window and he's outside jumping rope. Like, you know, because that's what you do, right? He's jumping rope, uh, shirtless, uh, you know. That's, that's a minor detail, right, okay? Well, then he comes in, and apparently we knew each other, right? So we, so we, we, we dab up, whatever that is, you know? And, and, then, and then he sits down at the, uh, at the coffee, at the table with me, and everybody in the coffee shop has now come around our table because they, they want to know Miles Garrett because how cool is it to know a celebrity, right? Come on. How cool is it? We're like, oh my gosh, I was in the same vicinity as this person. We feel pretty rad. What, what if we actually have a friendship? This person knows my name. That's pretty cool, right? That's something that we're kind of like, all right, check me out. Me and Miles, dabbing up. What's up, homie? Is that what it is, dab? Is it B or P? P? Dap. Dap, okay. Is the dab this thing? Oh, man, cringy. Gosh, okay, right? You know what I'm talking about, though. Like, there's just this, like, oh, my gosh. And this is just a dream. I don't really know Miles Garrett. I do have a son named Miles. They don't look similar, you know. But it's just a dream. Like, how cool is that? And 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 let's just be let's just be really honest. Like we can sit here and know God. Like God is here with us. And I mean, I just, that doesn't even move the needle a lot of times, right? Like I, God knows my name. He he knows me. He's involved with my life. He knows the number of hairs that are no longer on my head anymore, right? Hayden, man, he's, he's keeping up with all that hair. Like, he knows the number of your, on your head. That's incredible, and yet it just doesn't move us. It doesn't, it doesn't impress us a lot of times. Let's be honest. And yet, that's a benefit. Oh, my gosh. We know him who was from the beginning, who, who with the word spoke everything into existence who according to the psalms intricately wove us together in our mother's womb right we we know him he knows us like we can dap up with god like i'm just like that relational connection that we can have with him what a benefit and does it move us does it inspire us does that compel us the next benefit i'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. Jump down to verse, into 14. Because you are strong, because the word of God abides in you. You've overcome the evil one. For those in Christ, we are overcomers of sin and death and every force of hell that can be thrown at us. Not because of our own strength. We know that. Not because we can go toe-to-toe with the gates of hell and be just fine. No, because the spirit of God in Jesus dwells in us, and thus we are overcomers. As sure as Jesus rose from the dead and walked out of the grave so that death can never have a power on him again, so that death can have no effect, so that sin has no effect, that is our victory in Jesus. 
right? Like we, we get to, I love the imagery of Colossians 1, trample over sin and death. Like we get to stand on top of sin. There's no, there's no sin or, or, or death or curse of darkness that has power over us in Christ. That is a benefit for us. We're not, we're, we're not stuck that way. We can be changed. We can be transformed. We can be free from those sins and from those addictions and from those Trump traumatic events. Like we can find freedom in Jesus. We can progressively grow. We're not, we're not defeated. Right? We're not running out to the field destined to lose. We're running out already won. Like the game's ours. Man, we're playing with house money. We've already won because Jesus has already won. These are benefits that are ours in Christ Jesus. These are benefits that should encourage us. These are benefits that we have to remind ourselves and sit in because as we all know right now, many times we read this and we read through these verses and they don't, they don't move us. Right, we're just, we're just not impressed. Okay, but we can be. We can sit in this reality and wait and let God stir our affections again and our hearts again. Your sins in Jesus are forgiven. My gosh. Free, righteous, cleansed. I, I, I know, I know him, I know God. And I can know him more than I can mentally even imagine. There's so much more. I'm an overcomer by Christ. Nothing is too difficult for him. I can do all things through Christ. I can be content in all circumstances. I can remain. I can endure. I can be steadfast because Jesus endures and he's steadfast and he remains. I, I, I am victorious in him. Those are benefits that I pray today and as we just sit in, will stir our hearts towards him. That will encourage us and compel us forward. This is John just encouraging us on gathering us up, gathering the team. Come on, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Don't let Satan tell you otherwise. Remember who you are in Jesus. Forgiven. You're his, he knows you, you know him. You're an overcomer because the spirit of the risen Savior dwells in us. And every blessing in the heavenly places is given to us in Jesus. What's his is now ours because of him. Then John goes back to instructing. He goes back to, to coaching us up, to leading us forward. Right now, let's remember Let's remember the instructions, the coaching that we get. Right? If we have a good coach and a good teacher, man, they're teaching us, and it may be challenging at times, but it's for our good. Right? There's a good aim that they're leading us towards. The aim John is leading us towards is fellowship with God, the fullness of life, abundant life in Jesus. That is our goal. Right? We don't get instructions just to be morally good people. We get instructions to know God. We get instructions to have intimacy with him. The, the, the behavior change follows. But the behavior change is not the aim. Knowing God is the aim. That's our goal. That's what we're going towards. And so John says, okay, on that journey to know God, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. What's the instruction that John gives us? The command, do not love. Like that's the command, that's the imperative verb in these verses. Right, and we remember, right, the one who follows God keeps his commands, right? This is our instruction, do not love. It's complete opposite, right, of, of the previous verse where he says to love your brother, right? You, you got over here on this side where he's like, hey, love one another. And over here, he's like, hey, do not love the world. Right, we remember, we talked last week that the, the word love is a selfless and intentional posture to think and to do what is kind, good, and best for another, Right? Love is the intentional and selfless posture. It's a disposition of oneself. It's a, it's a facing of oneself to think and to do what is kind, good, and best for another. Love is active. Love moves us. Love is a giving of oneself towards something. And John tells us love is a choice. We can love or we cannot love. Right? You, you and I, we're not falling into love. We're not falling out of love. It's not some spontaneous thing that overtakes us and then also may leave us after a little bit. Right? Love is a choice. We sit here today, right now, no one is making any of us do anything. We are choosing what we will love and what we will not love. We're getting instructions. Love these things, do not love these things. Love is a choice. Don't, don't believe the lies of the world that tells you, oh man, you can't really, con you can't choose or control what you love. No, no, we can choose what we give our lives to. We can choose what we pursue. We can choose what we move towards. I'm not talking about a feeling. Gosh, if we, if we choose based on our feelings, we're going to be all over the place. My feelings change. I don't know about yours. I mean, my feelings change based on if I had coffee or not. Right? Amen. We got to, mm-hmm. Right, so if I'm basing love on my feelings, I, I, I'd be on marriage number eight. You know what I'm saying? I, I'd, be, I'd be who knows where. Love is a choice. Right now, you and I are choosing what we are giving ourselves towards, what we are pursuing the good and the best and the preference of. John tells us, choose to love one another. How you love the people around you right now, that is your choice. No, no one is controlling that. No one is making you. We choose if we're going to love. And John then says, do not love the world or the things in it. Choose not to give yourself to the world or the things in it. Choose not to prefer and prioritize and lift up with your thoughts and your lives the world and the things of it. Do not love the world. I can't love the world and love God. Right? Do not love the world. So, so what is the world? Right? We, we gotta ask that question then if John's instruction for us today is to not love the world and the things in it, what, what is that? Broadly speaking, right, the world is anything, anything that pulls us away from God. Anything we give our, our minds and our hearts and, and our, our hands to that, that turns us away from God. 
It is the world and the things in it. Some of those things are, are clear and obviously sinful. Right? If we read Galatians 5 or, or, or Colossians 3, right, we're going to see this list, almost this T-chart. Put away these things, and, and Paul goes through the list, right? Anger and malice and sexual immorality and drunkenness, right? Like, put those things away. They're not godly. Put on humility and compassion and forgiveness and holiness, right? We see that in Colossians 3. We see in Galatians 5, right? The, 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 the works of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, right? We see the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We see this list, Right, we, we see that throughout the scripture. And we can look at that and we can go, man, okay, here's what the Bible says is not godly. And so John's like, don't love anger. Don't love these things that are worldly, of the world. Don't, don't love those things. Don't give yourself to those things. But we also see that, that we can love things that aren't necessarily sinful. And it's still pulling us away from God. Hebrews 12, verse 1. It says to throw off every weight and sin which clings so closely. You've got two different things we're throwing off. The sins and the weights that aren't necessarily sinful, but they're just slowing us down. They're just slowing us down. From the very beginning, there's been this war in our soul. Right now, there's a war at bat, uh, in our souls, for our souls right now. And you've got, John says in John 10, you've got the thief who wants to steal, kill, and destroy from your life today. There is an enemy, Satan, who desires to devour your soul. And even if you've trusted Jesus and your soul is secure with him, he wants to ruin everything he can about your life so that you glorify God less with what you have. That is his aim, to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus, same verse, came that you would have life and have it abundantly, right? There is a battle for our souls. And Satan's attempt for us today is to entice our desires to love the world instead of God. To entice us to, to love the created rather than the creator. W with the obvious things, but also with the more subtle things. All right, let's, let's look at Genesis chapter one. The last verse of Genesis 1 says this, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. It was very good. Everything he had made was very good. The end of chapter 2, verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Right? There's this there's this love among one another that is pure, that is, that is right, that, that is vulnerable, and, and there's no shame, there's no fear, there's no guilt. There's, you know, that we see the perfection of God's created order. This is abundant life. This is what God desires for us. And then you see Genesis 3, where the serpent who is cunning comes in to steal, kill, and destroy. And so how does that happen? Chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say 
you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, when the woman had a desire for her flesh, a desire of her eyes, that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. There's a stark difference in the end of that section versus the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2. Where everything's good, and they're naked and unashamed, and all of a sudden they're ashamed, and, and they're embarrassed, and they're hiding if you keep reading Genesis 3, it says they're, they're, they're running, they're trying to hide from the presence of God. They're now blaming one another for the effects. Well, how did that happen? Well, they had a desire for this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which if you remember the end of chapter one, God looked at everything he created, including the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and what did he say? It's very good. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is there, and it is very good. It is beautiful. It is desirous to the eyes and to the flesh. It tastes good. But God said, don't eat of that tree. Why? Because the tree was bad? No. Because the fullness of life is found in trusting and surrendering to God, in going his way. The fullness of life is not found in autonomy and going one's own way. The fullness of life is found in surrendering and submitting to the ways of God, to his boundaries, to his instructions. And so Satan's aim was simply to appeal to the natural desires of Adam and Eve. That tree looks good. The tree looks desirous. I'm, I'm hungry. It will taste good. But these desires of the flesh and these desires of the eyes and the pride of autonomy and the pride of life and the pride of self-sufficient are not of God. They are lies of the enemy meant to take us away from him and to lead us to steal, kill, and destroy. We have to see God is for our good. God, God gives us instructions because he loves us. If I didn't give instructions to my kids, not a single one of you would say that's loving. Right? Am I, am I robbing from my kids because I don't want them playing in the street at dark? Because I gave them this rule to follow? No, I'm, I'm keeping them alive. Right? I'm, I'm leading them towards the fullness. Am, am I robbing from them because I, I told them they had to have a bedtime? No, I'm helping create structure. I'm helping create a rhythm of thriving and health. Right? Rules and boundaries are not taking from us. Rules and boundaries are giving us the best way to thrive and to live in the presence of God. The, the world wants to tell us, no, no, no. God's giving you rules and boundaries because he wants to keep from you. Eve, God's not letting you eat from that tree because he wants to keep from you. You know better. Pursue and give yourself to the things that you desire. 
to what you love and what you want to give yourself to. The battle of our soul is a battle for trust. Will we trust God that the way he's leading us is to life or will we trust the lies of the pit of hell that if we go our own way, we're going to find more? And God wants you to see. He wants you to pull the curtain back and go, that is a bloody lie that will steal, kill, and destroy your soul. Even if your soul is secure for eternity, he wants to make it hell here on earth so that everyone around you too can experience that hell. Do not love the world or the things in the world. It's not that the world or the things in the world are necessarily bad. It's that when we make them our love, now we have walked away from loving God and we're down the path of stealing, killing, and destroying. Don't prioritize the world or things. Don't give yourself to the world or the things in the world, the desires of the flesh, those fleshly appetites for food and for drunkenness and for sex and whatever feels good. Yes, the culture is going to tell you you are your own person. Your feelings control you. Your feelings are what is true. That's the way to go. And God's like, it's a lie from hell. Are you going to trust? You may have feelings. You may have these feelings inside of you that make no sense. You may have these feelings that say, I want to go this way, or I want to identify this way, or I want to love whoever I want to love. And God's like, okay, those feelings, those desires, so be it. Choose to trust me anyways. Choose to, to love me and to give yourself to me. Adam and Eve had desires. The desires weren't the problem. It's when Satan tempts and entices our desires to be ultimate. My desires are what matter, not God's. That is the battle at war within our soul. And what are the consequences if we love the world? John tells us in verse 15, the love of the Father is not in him. You, you cannot love God and the world at the same time. I cannot pursue God while actively pursuing the world. If I'm actively pursuing the world, I'm not actively pursuing God. Now this may mean that, that we've never surrendered our life to Jesus. We've talked a lot about that. If there's an unwillingness to surrender any aspect of our life, we're trying to hold on to God and ourselves. And you can't do both. Remember the story Jesus tells about the rich young ruler? He comes to Jesus. He, he comes to the church service and he's like, I want eternal life. I want to live in heaven with God. I want to, I want to be with God. And you know, this is every pastor's dream, right? Like, yes, we got another one. And I love that Jesus doesn't just like blow through it, right? Come on, how many times would, would, I, would we do that? Someone comes up, I want, to, I want to have eternal life in heaven. Awesome, great, pray this prayer. And Jesus stops and he identifies his heart. And he's like, hey, hey, hey go give away all your possessions. And it says that the man went away sorrowful because he was unwilling to let go of the pride of life, his possessions, his belongings. See, Jesus knew his heart wanted God, but his heart also wanted his money. And when it came down to it, he was unwilling to let go of his money for God. He held his money higher than God. And he says, you can't have both. That was my story. When I was seven, I prayed this prayer. It's like, I want to go to heaven. I want God. But what I really also cared about was living my life, my reputation, my status. I was willing to do whatever it took to increase in popularity. 
When I was 15, I remember God saying so clearly, Corey, you can either live for yourself or you can live for me, but you can't do both. You can't go left and go right at the same time. You surrender your life to one or the other. And so if we want to love the world, it's possible the love of God has never overtaken you. But we can, we can surrender. We can let go. We can choose to trust God. But also, for, for most of us, I'm betting, is that you have a relationship with Jesus, but there's still that temptation, right? There's still that temptation to temporarily go, I choose the world. I choose my flesh. I choose my feelings. I choose my appetite. I choose my desires. I choose my own status. I choose my own well-being. I choose to love myself rather than my neighbor, right? There's still that temptation. And, and John is just saying, if we want to continue to grow in intimacy with God, we cannot love the world. We have to love God first and let God tell us how to interact with everything else. If we want to know him more, we cannot love the world. The love of God is not in us. Either we've never encountered it or we've temporarily walked away from it and we need to return. We need to return. Right? The, the, if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And the other consequence we see uh, in verse 17, the world is passing away with all, along with all its desires. Right? When we invest our lives in things of this world, we're, we're pouring our lives into buckets with holes in the bottom. There may be a, a moment where it feels nice, where it feels like it's filling up, but unless we're able to keep pouring everything into it all the time, it's going to empty out and leave us dry. That's the promise of Scripture, is that this world is passing away. The things of this world, the pride of this world, the luxury of this world, the feelings of this world, all of it will pass away. And the Bible says, right, it's a mist, right? It's here and then it's gone. We have such a short view. And, and John's like, hey, look up. Love God. Have a long-term view. This world is passing away. It's going to leave you wanting. So what do we do instead? Whoever does the will of God abides forever. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whoever loves God and does his will will abide forever, will store up treasures in heaven, is investing eternally rather than, than earthly. Do we have the faith to believe that he's telling us the truth? That our investments, if they're God-oriented are eternal and good. And if their world self-oriented is going to fade away and leave us longing, do we trust him in that? God is for you. He's, he's for you. I, I feel like that's, that's one of the primary things God wants me to, to tell us is God is for you. He's not trying to keep from you. He's not trying to rob from you. His instructions are for good. His boundaries are for your health and for your vibrancy and for your thriving. And everything around us will tell you, no, no, chase your own way and it's a lie from Satan. It's a lie from Satan meant to steal, kill, and destroy. Will you trust that he's for you? Will you choose to love God and the things of God? Will you choose to love others because God tells you to love others?
not because others are the end. Will you choose to, to treat your money the way God tells you to treat your money because you love God and you don't love money? Will you choose to, to treat your, your sexuality the way God tells you to because you love God and you don't love your physical pleasure? Or how, what are we choosing to love? It's not that those things are even bad. It's that they're not ultimate. They're gifts from God so that we would love him more and enjoy him more. John's aim for us is to know God more. His aim is fellowship with God. His aim is the fullness of life in the presence of God. It's for our good. And he says, okay, don't, don't love the world. The world's gonna let you down. The world's gonna crumble. The world is gonna steal, kill, and destroy. Don't trust it. Don't love it. Don't give yourself to it. Give yourself to God. Trust God. Love God. Abide in his will. That's where we find the fullness of life. And that's our choice. That's our choice if we're going to trust him and love him. So I pray, my hope, is that we'll just take one step every day and move forward. I was watching this, this movie um, recently, th- last night, the night before, I don't know, Spirited, some new Christmas movie with, uh, what's his name, Will Ferrell and uh, Ryan Reynolds. He's handsome. He's a handsome guy. Anyways, so can we edit that out? Just anyways, he's talking about it, it's it's a, it's a, it's a remake on uh, the the Christmas. Mm, you know, I don't know my Christmas stuff. Christmas Carol. Thank you. Um, it's a remake on that, right? And he's just talking about like I'm not ruining anything here. It's a good, it's a good movie. It's a cute movie, right? And he's just talking about like you know being a changed person and the pressure he feels to like be forever permanently changed. And he's like, hey man all you have to do is do your best today and then the next day do your best and the next day do your best and the ne- right like change is a it's a long term journey we're not going to we're not going to love God perfectly today but we can choose in this moment what we're going to do and then we can choose in the next moment and the next moment and when we stumble we can say dad gum it no I choose to love God and we return right it's, it's that journey it's that, it's that direction. All you have to worry about, all you have to think about right now is this moment. We're not even guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed this evening. We may not make it to lunch. But in this moment, we're still living and breathing. And we can choose in this moment, am I going to love God? Am I going to give my heart, myself, my mind, everything to Him and His ways? Or am I going to love the world? Am I going to choose myself? That's our choice right now. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.